Yeah, this is Pastor Tita here. Welcome to another episode of my revolutionary podcast where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And in today's deep dive, we're going to do a quick little recap of my last sermon, which I did called A Heart for Your House. Well, really, it's God's heart for your house. As we've been exploring this, really this two-sided coin of really this, this amazing institution, well, two institutions that God has created in order to work together to fulfill his purposes. And we've seen throughout the scriptures, all the way from Genesis, we see at the very beginning and throughout it all, that God uses the family to fulfill his purposes. And so God has a heart for your family, and we need to make sure we understand that heart so that we can first receive it and then walk through it. Because without God's heart, there's no way, really, it's the grace of God. There's no way that we can truly love our family the way we need to, the way we can, the way we would want to. There's just no way. And so I had a lot of fun this last week because Fun because, man, I had to wrestle with this. Uh, I love those weird, awkward verses that uh, really, when you read it at once, it's like, uh, you know, I don't know, that sounds a little interesting. And maybe for some, uh, it's hard to talk about because of some connotations. But uh, I thought the fact, I mean, I'm just being real. The fact that Paul would say in 1 Timothy 5, and he wraps up this conclusion about the heart for your family. And as he's answering this question, he's helping Timothy kind of clean up some of the issues that's in this one church. He's talking about the church and the home. And he concludes with this amazing statement that says, if you do not, or those that do not provide for their family first, especially those within their own household, they are worse than unbelievers. That one, that one was an amazing statement. Like, first off, you know, really quick talking to, uh, how we view and treat unbelievers. That's, uh, something that I, I wanted to kind of really dive and kind of dig a little deeper in just to make sure, because, you know, sometimes there's these, these, I don't know, these misunderstandings or misapplications on really what that is. And it's, it's kind of silly that we fall into that, but, uh, Paul said it. All right. I thought it's very interesting to look at, like, what does that mean? And this is the part that I was trying to talk about, because sometimes when we think there's this one section about unbelievers, right? And say, look, you're worse than an unbeliever. And then there's one time uh, that in in the New Testament, we see that somebody, what Paul would talk about, someone who refuses to listen, someone who refuses to hear true biblical correction. And we're talking about Christians now, okay? We're talking about a Christian in this case. Both cases, we're talking about Christians. A Christian who does not provide for their family, treats, mistreats their family in this kind of way, is worse than an unbeliever. And Paul would later say, uh, any Christian who does not want to listen to rebuke, does not want to listen to correction, treat them like an unbeliever. And so obviously there are some times, I mean, I've heard this, this is what's kind of crazy. It's, I've heard some people interpret that in the sense of, well, treat them this kind of way, like almost like if Paul is saying something negative, like, well, if, if, if they're a Christian and they don't want to listen to you, then treat them like whatever. And I was like, first off, we got to understand the heart, our heart really, well, God's heart towards unbelievers and God's heart towards unbelievers, okay, towards those who act and claim to be, even though they don't claim it by their behaviors, they act as enemies of God. 
We're called to love our enemies. And the only thing that we can do, the only thing that we can do to help an unbeliever is to point them to Christ, right? Is for the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal their need, okay, their sin, and reveal Christ as Savior. That's it. That's the Holy Spirit. But he, the Holy Spirit can use us to communicate that because the only thing that could save a sinner is repentance. And I kind of said this at the very end. Um, I don't know if it's going to be on the podcast version of it or not, where in this prayer where I was challenging, again, non-believers, when I specifically spoke to non-believers, that, listen, just serving your family better and just kind of being nicer with your words and, and treating them in a kind of way. Um, it's great and it's going to be effective, but I wanted to make sure that they understood that that's not going to save them because just learning how to be a better husband or father or, uh, you know, wife, mother, son and daughter, friend, you know, aside from repentance and confession in Christ Jesus, they're just learning to be a more sophisticated sinner. All right. And uh, sophisticated sinners aren't saved. They're still sinners. And so our approach to non-believers as Christians, that's an interesting one. We're just called to love them and be kind towards them, pointing them to Christ. And really, we got one message to unbelievers, to an unbelieving world. that There's one simple message, one thing to do. Repent, change your mind about who you are, change, which that's what repenting means is to change your mind, change your mind about who you are, change your mind about who Christ is, about your need for him. And the Holy Spirit is the only one that can open up the mind and cause that transformation. So number one, that's how Christians are to view and treat non-Christians, okay? How believers are supposed to treat and view non-believers. So I think that's interesting that in these two cases, and specifically in this one in 1 Timothy, Paul says, treat a, treat a believer like a non-believer, okay? If, an, if a believer does want, not want to listen, then it doesn't matter how many Bible verses you're going to throw at them. If their heart is hard, okay? If they are just being rebellious and stubborn, the only thing that can make any difference right now is for that person to repent of their sin, repent of their pride, repent of their stubbornness. And then in a more humble state, they are able to apply the word of God by the grace of God, but they can't do it if they are rejecting the spirit of God. Okay. They can't do that. So we treat Christians who don't want to listen as non-believers. I was like, Hey man, you got to listen to this one thing only just repent of your sins, repent, repent, repent. But then what about these people, people who deny the faith by the way they mistreat those that in that matter most to them, that should matter most to them inside their home, right? He said, he said, don't treat him like a non-believer. He says, you're acting worse than an unbeliever, which is an amazing statement. That's, I mean, that, that says a lot, you know, that says a lot for, because I mean, that action alone, I mean, we know it. We know that talking bad to your parents, I mean, how many of us, I know I've been there, we've been in restaurants and you've been out in public and you saw a kid throw a fit and be all kind of rude to their parents, right? We've all been in there. We've all been to those moments when you've seen that and you just feel the tension like, I just want to watch this, but this is so much torture to watch at the same time. Oh my gosh, I just like, I want to tell something or do something to that kid real quick, you know? We've all been there. We've all had those moments because we know that that's messed up. See, and that just speaks to the true nature that, that, that is, you know, this is highlighting a capital T truth that is just evident 
You know, like the founding fathers would say that there are truths that are self-evident. There's just things that we inherently know is wrong and and what should be right you know because god has placed us we've been made in the image of god now sin has corrupted that image sin has allowed us to you know continue to manipulate that and it it's not perfect but man we can recognize we can recognize wrong right we can recognize yikes bro and and what a horrible testimony you know like two weeks ago we were talking about being a witness to the world right? We need to have a heart for the church, which a heart for God's house is a heart for the lost and the found. We need to have a heart for those that are not believers in Christ. And we need to have a heart towards those who are believers in Christ, developing that relationship inside of the church. And, you know, like the way Andy Stanley likes to say, we impact those inside of the church through our actions so that we can influence those outside. That's important. And so, but with all of that, um, as, as we're talking about being witnesses towards a non-believing world, one great way that we can do that is the way we witness to others by how we live inside of our homes. And I thought that was interesting that Paul says, man, listen, y'all's behavior, the way that you guys are just dismissive of your parents, the way that you guys don't want to care for each other in the home. Like if, if, if we're going to do this anywhere, it has to start here, right? In the church house and in your house. And it just... I thought that was interesting because it said, listen, your testimony, maybe at church is great. Your testimony as a believer when you go to the church house is nice. But when you go to your house where you spend the majority of your time, um, your witness there is pathetic. I, I thought that that's a harsh word, but that's a good word for us to hear in that how we live inside of our home is a witness, is a witness to those who are our neighbors. Who literally, I mean, this is probably aside from in our modern day case, maybe back then it was a little different, maybe. But for, in our modern day case, we probably spend the majority of our time with people at work, right? Our jobs, school for those, right? For the most part. But then we can't negate the fact that the second most, you know, the second place that we spend the most time together or, you know, just period is the home, the neighbors that are there, all those things. And so... If, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, I recommend, I'm looking at some of my books up there. There's uh, really good books uh, regarding uh, parents and obviously those are, there's believers in Christ Jesus that would wish that their kids become believers in Christ. Well, one of the, I mean, this is, sounds common sense, but again, it's self-evident. You know this to be true. We cannot necessarily impose faith. Now, faith can be passed down from one generation to another, but it has to be their faith. Not, they can't hold on to your faith. It has to be their faith. So you need to lead them along a journey where Jesus and, and their, this revelation becomes a self-discovery. It's like they discover it for themselves. But one of the best things you can do if you're a parent that wants to see your children follow Christ is let them see you follow Christ. I mean, this is as simple as that. Like, again, are you going to expect someone to do something that you are not willing to do yourself? In fact, it speaks of a double witness when you act one way at church, or when you act one way in, you know, once a week, maybe, and then you spend the majority of the week acting a different kind of way. Like the only crack open the Bible when you watch the pastor do that, like you only sing song, the only music that ever fills the house is non-Christian. The only time you hear worship is when you go to church. You know, when you hear those positive Christian vibes and stuff like that, is when you go to church, it's like you're telling these kids, you're telling these kids, I don't really believe this. 
Because if you did, it would impact every area of your life and it would permeate every moment. And so that's what's important. And so for the for kids to have a faith that stick, you need to have a faith for your parent, a grandparent that has true faith. And you are modeling that towards those that you love. And so that's an important one because how we live inside of our home is a witness. And I'm not sure now that I think about it, I'm not sure if I said it, but listen, I want you to know your house is your mission field. It's part of it. I mean, the world is a mission field, just being real, but your home is a mission field. Okay. You are a missionary. You are someone with a mission from Christ and your home is a place where you are called to be a missionary. And so uh, I, I don't know if I, you know, I wanted to mention that and really highlight that, but it's, it's super important. You know, I, I loved hearing some of the feedback from the sermon this last week as we had people, I mean, right then and there texting their parents, texting their kids, you know, hugging each other that were their families that were together, apologizing towards one another, repenting of their sins. I mean, that's just that's just awesome. Uh, and so because it, that's what we're called to be, man, is, is to be a church in motion, you know, be a church in motion. Our mission must be put in motion and be hearers and doers of the word. I love that. And so that was, that was really cool uh, to see. And there's a verse that I wanted to kind of bring up that, again, I didn't have time. I would have tried to unpack it. I did my best to condense it, the, the heart of it. But we got to make sure that you know, when it comes to heart for the home, we're not doing like what uh, Jesus called these people out in, in Mark 7 and 12. We're not looking for loopholes. Okay. Let me find this loophole not to love you. Okay. Uh, you know, the people would do that with the way they would, you know, claim their stuff as Corbin. You can watch the, the, the sermon to figure that out. Or those that would devour the estates of the widows. Uh, I think there's some kids out there that we tend to, you know, devour the estates of our parents. Right. It's just like, hey, it's all for us. You know, you lived your life, whatever. But then finding those other loopholes, right, of being too busy, being too broke or just not wanting to. Um, and as I walked away from the message, that was that one thing right there that uh, I was thinking about, it being too busy and broke. I wanted to make sure that um, if any of you heard this, that you didn't mishear me. Because, you know, when it came to the excuse of living out our faith by loving our family sacrificially, I, I asked the objection, well, I asked the question to answer the objection, what if I'm too busy? Okay, well, obviously, that you know the answer to that. If you're too busy to you know, help your family or help someone, uh, it doesn't mean you can't do something. Um, and let's be, let's be real. Let's just give you the benefit of the doubt. And let's say you are truly busy because a lot of us, how many times we've ever said, Oh, I'm just so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Yet you always seem to find time for the things you really want to do being real, right? You always seem to find time for the things you want to do. Uh, and so we tend to make that excuse because we just really don't want to do it. All right. Oh, I'm just too busy right now, man. That's just you, Loki, saying, I don't want to do it. But let's just assume you are really busy. You're, you know, you got kids and responsibilities and this, and you just don't have time. Okay. Well, doesn't mean you can't do something. You know, in the little time that you have, doesn't mean that you can't either coordinate care between other family members or hire someone to be able to help one of your family members that needs more constant care that you are not able to provide. Okay. You can do something. Or lesbian real, like the story that I told about the missionary. What if it just takes some adjusting of your time? Maybe uh, less leisurely time. Or, uh, I mean, I'm going to be real radical in saying this. What if just career change, a career option? I'm, you never know. I mean, it's you just never know. 
And but being too busy is not just an excuse to do nothing. You are called to do something. Now, this one was one that I kind of said that I'm like, all right, let me make sure. That's why I love these deep dives. It gives me an opportunity to kind of really go a little further in something I just didn't have the time to do because of our time constraints on Sunday. What if I'm too broke? Now, again, let's assume you truly are broke. Let's assume, and for the right reasons, let's not, uh, you know, forget the fact that, well, you're too broke, meaning, well, you don't want to stop spending certain money so you can have the money to do what you need to do. You feel me on that? Like maybe, you know, I right, do you really need to go on two vacations a year? You can keep that one and help your moms out with some, whatever they have going on in their house that they can't afford. Um, things like that. Okay. Uh, do you really, let's talk about kids. Like, do you really need those $150 pair of sneakers that your parents, uh, you want them to pay for, uh, or can you get by with something like 75? Right. So that's just, let's just assume that you are truly broke that you are, you know, you're living beneath your means, but yet you don't make a lot. And the financial responsibilities of what is happening inside of the home and this and that, let's just say it's, it's big. And so what do you do? And so I, I didn't want to make anyone feel guilty, like, oh, you know, if I'm just, you know, I'm just not that person that I don't got the money like that. And so you feel guilty that you don't have the money. You feel this, you feel that. Well, listen, again, just like I said a minute ago, just because you're busy doesn't mean you can't do something. Just because you don't have enough money, again, doesn't mean you can't do something. I mean, there's so many things out there. And again, this is where the church comes in, right? This is, where, this is one area where the church could come in, in assistance, if there is a family that is truly in need. Okay. Which that was that part. It's like, you know, the church was being overburdened, like the church was being asked to do too much. And this is kind of the issue. It's not that the church is, oh, we're too busy. Listen, the church can't do the family's job for them. And the family can't do the church's job for them. Each one has a role and responsibility. And when here, like the, the church was being overburdened, meaning the church was being asked to do things that God has not ordained and called for it to do. Like, listen, the family has roles and responsibilities, too, and both need to work together. And so, you know, a family that's truly in need, you know, there's people out there. I mean, now nowadays with GoFundMe and this and that, oh, my gosh. But I just want to encourage you, don't feel like you have failed your family if you're just one of those people. That, I don't know, you just, you make, you know, minimum wage or you make, you're an adult now and, and you just didn't, you know, you're not making those six figures, not working your way up the corporate ladder, right? I don't want you to feel guilty in that. I want you to know that God is your provider and God can help you regardless of those circumstances. But what matters is a willing heart. Regardless, if you, if you are truly busy and truly broke, listen, you can still truly be a blessing. Okay. I want to encourage you with that. You can be broke. You can be busy. But it doesn't mean you can't be a blessing. And we're called to be a blessing, especially when it comes to those inside of our home. And parents, let me encourage you. Uh, I know some of us, especially me as a parent, you've always, you know, being a young parent too, but even older parents, you can think of this. How many parents have ever, how many times have you worked so hard to give your kids everything you never had, but you failed to give them the things that you actually did have, you know? And so that's important. And so we need to make sure that we balance all of this together. And so I wanted to read to you uh, one of these Bible verses here about, you know, what does it mean to practice godliness towards our family members? Well, look at this. Look at how interesting this is. First Timothy, well, this letter that we written that we are reading, excuse me, is Paul talking to Timothy, who is a leader of a specific church. Guess the church. 
Ephesus. Well, Paul has also written a specific letter to that church. It's called the book of Ephesians. Now look at Paul, how he directly talks to this church in chapters five and six. He is talking directly to the family. This, I mean, Paul loves to do this at the end of just his exhortation and his explanation about all that Christ has done and what he's, you know, everything that he is to us. Then it says, in light of the gospel, in light of the love of God, live in this way. And then he tends to give these categories. Here's how this looks like if you're this. Here's how this looks like if you're that. So in verse five, he says, let us be imitators of God. Let's love one another. Chapter five. And he goes on, says, pay very careful attention. Verse 15, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Meaning, listen, you know this. So don't be like an, you know. Don't kind of act the kind of way that's worse than an unbeliever because unbelievers, I'm going to be real, not, no, no shame or shade on this one, but unbelievers don't, to a certain extent, don't know any better because if they don't know or understand they're ignorant of the word of God, can we really hold them to a standard of, oh, why aren't you following, you know, they're lost for a reason. We got to love them and save them. Hey, God loves you. And so despite all those things, but here in this case, we're like, we're not ignorant in that case. Like we know. And so we know Christ. We know what he's done. We know that we have the grace of God through the spirit. So let's lean in on that. And he says here, verse 21, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. That's right. That's the, that's that key word right there. We submit to each other in the fear of God, fear of God, true piety. There's a nice word there. Okay. The, the fear of God, piety, which is the fear of God, the love of God and faith in God. That is our heartfelt response to what God has done for us. Okay, we live, God laid down his life for us. So we lay down our lives for one another because not because we have to, because God said we should. No, because we want to, because it's just just is man because of what God has done for us like we want to lay down our life for you God how do I do oh I can lay down my life for you by laying down my life for my fam oh bet all right I'll do that and so that's the important one so here we have submitting to one another in the fear of Christ meaning that we are just in such awe and in reverence and in worship and out of honor for Christ and what he's done for us we want to willingly do the following and so we get this uh oh here's the one right wives submit to your husbands that's that one right so, you know first he says submit to one another he doesn't say submit you one to the other submit to one another key phrase seriously i don't see how it's it's amazing how many people and how many generations have gotten this wrong and it's plain as day but I, we know why they got it wrong because this is the our pride that tends to just read what we want to read wives submit to one another but then later on it says husbands love your wife submit to her too you know i think that's crazy because in this case i think it's crazy the dynamic of everything because husbands are supposed to look to their wives and serve them and wives are supposed to look to their husbands and respect them this is how we submit to one another. We submit to one another by, by doing the very thing that we wish the other would do for us. So listen to that. Husbands, okay, serve their wives. Wives, respect their husbands. What does our culture want? 
our husbands look to the wife and says, you serve me when the husband is supposed to serve the wife. But we get it wrong when the husband looks to the wife and says, woman, you serve me. And when the woman looks to the husband and instead of respecting him, the, the wife looks to the husband and says, you respect me. You see how reversed it is? It is that is submit the other one, submit one to the other, right? That's you submit, not me. You, you, you want the other person to do what you're not willing to do. Mm. See, husbands, do not demand your wives to serve you. No, you serve them. Okay? Wives, do not demand that your man respect you. Respect him. Now, I know that sounds a little weird right now. Okay, that last one, you know, doesn't mean that you allow disrespect. I'm not saying that uh, a wife should turn the other cheek to disrespect. But I'm just being real, though. Okay? You can't, do you, you know, if you want him to respect you, you respect him and he will respect you in the way he serves you and vice versa, fellas. All right. Vice versa. All right. She's going to respect you when you live for her. Okay. Each feeds into the other. That's an important one. And so that's a, that's an important balance and thing that we need to see guys loving sacrificially. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. It's not, it's not a win lose scenario. It's really lose lose and it's win win. Okay. If, if you're not doing it, it's, it's either lose lose. If you're trying to, you know, get the other person to do what you want them to do, but you don't want to do it. You're going to, you're creating a lose lose scenario. Even when you win, you lose. Okay. Win win. When you both surrender which thinks it sounds like losing when you both surrender you both win that's what a healthy relationship looks like but then this is an interesting one here paul keeps on going so when it comes to the children this one we've heard so this one we're we're, we're comfortable with right maybe if you've read the bible children obey your parents because this is right this is the right thing to do. Obey them. Honor your father. So here, notice that we got the connection between obeying and honoring. Honor your father and mother. First commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Listen, there's, this is important because, see, if children, if children, all right, this is the, this is the crazy part about this. Like if you, if you can disrespect your parents, Oh, there's nobody here. There's nobody off limits now. If you can disrespect them, you can disrespect anybody. Like if you're not willing to submit to the will of your parents, you're not going to su submit to anyone. All right. And uh, so that's important. And so because these are the people that have brought you in to this world who have really like done more for you than you can admit to, you know, appreciate, bro. It's just being real. It says honor them, obey them. That's important. But then. I love how Paul doesn't, he, he has a little, I got something for the parents too, because we hear a lot about honor your parents, honor your parents. Paul even told the kids in first Timothy, repay your parents. So look at these three, this Ephesian church is called to repay their parents, honor them, obey them. But we got something for the parents though. It says fathers, parents do not, hmm, this is a negative command. Don't stir up anger in your children. But bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There's that word again, man. Training, like, listen, help them to put into practice that they, that they understand that this becomes their faith. But I love the negative. He says, he doesn't say train them up in the instruction of the Lord. That's important. But he says, don't stir them up in anger. Uh, let me give you some other translations. Let me look at this. 
Fathers, don't stir them up in anger. Okay? Think of that. Don't stir it up. Stir it up. Another one, New, new American Standard. Fathers, don't provoke. Like, provoke. I'm thinking, you know, bro, I'm just like, poke, 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 right? Just, just edging you on. Just, just like, mm, come on, let's go. Don't provoke them. But bring them up in the discipline. Uh, New Living Translation, again, don't provoke them. Uh, don't provoke them to anger by the way you treat them. Mm. So we got the way you provoke them, the way you treat them, the way you stir them up. The message one, let me just give you just another opposite one here. Don't frustrate your children with a no-win scenario. Bro. Yeah. All right. So listen, some of y'all that listen to this, you got parents and you be like, yup, that's my situation, bro. That's why. Can you not understand and see my why I am the way I am? OK, but even that. OK, you're still the verse doesn't say honor your father and mother as long as they don't provoke you, as long as they don't stir you up, as long as they don't frustrate you. It's your job is to honor them, period. OK, that's it. Honor them. OK. There is a level of honor there that's important that you still owe them, even though if they owe you more, right? But whatever. But parents, listen to this one. How do we provoke our kids to anger? How do we frustrate them with no-win scenarios? And how do we provoke them to anger by the way we treat them? Well, you can easily argue. I mean, think of Paul again. If, uh, if you are not extending the same grace that you extend others to them, that's frustrating. They see you live a kind of way and they, they see you the way you talk to other people. It's nice, it's loving, caring. But then when they talk to you or when you, yeah, when they talk to you, you know, it's a monster, right? They see the inconsistencies there that bothers them. Why you talk to them that way and why you got to talk to me this way? That doesn't seem fair. It's frustrating. You know, what about... You provoke them to anger by being willing to spend so much time with your friends, but you never have time to do to spend time with them. Or you all you always want your kids to do what you want to do, and you never ask them, just what do you want to do today? The another way you can frustrate them, parents, is when you try to live vicariously through your kids. You know, you're trying to live out your hopes and dreams through them as like almost like a redo. That's frustrating. That's frustrating for a lot of kids. I mean, you're setting them up for a no-win scenario because if they fail, it's not just them failing you. It's them, you know, it's like you failing yourself all over again, right? Um, you can frustrate them by, this is one that I said, by really making your kids pay for the sins of others, okay? Your boss just kind of just reamed you out and your boss just yelled at you or you had this frustrating situation at your job with your coworkers, but you can't tell them what you want to say, right? Because you want to keep your job or that's your supervisor and you don't want to get fired. But then when you come home, okay, kid, you know, kid leaves one dish out of order and you just snap. That's frustrating. That's frustrating. Um, can I give you one other frustrating thing when it comes to your faith that you can frustrate your kids in, guys? Is if they see you act, they see you act all holy and mighty on Sundays. But they don't, they don't see that every day. That's frustrating for them. That's frustrating for their faith. Because again, as I said this before, that's frustrating for their faith. Because like, wait a minute, is it real or is it not? Then if it's real, then, then why are you asking me to do all this when I don't even see you do it? That's, that's frustrating. 
So guys, it's important that we make sure that we, we need to extend grace to our kids. I, I know I'm, me and my wife, we've talked about this. Like sometimes, you know, sometimes let's say if my eight year old, it's like, Oh, how many times do we have to tell you, bro, get your act together. And then I, uh, and then we talked about it. I'm like, love, we're, we're pushing. I'm going to be 38 soon. <laughs> I can't even say I got my act together. I make mistakes all the time. And yet when we make a mistake, it's like, oops. But if like our kids make the same mistake, it's like off with their heads. That's frustrating. That's frustrating. We don't, when we don't hold ourselves to the same standard that we don't hold our kids to. Or if we hold our kids to a higher standard than we hold for ourselves, that's frustrating. And so, guys, I, I asked a lot for you to think about right there. But again, um, you, the more you think about it, the more you're just going to feel like all crummy because you're going to realize, wow, you know, I'm what have I done? Who am I? You're going to see all this time wasted or, or all the excuses made. And you, you can't get any of that time back. You can. You can't. But, but what you can do is maximize the time you have left. And, and you don't know what time you have left. Listen, some of you have parents that are that are maybe old and, and you don't know. You don't know how much time is left. You may have parents that are young and you do not know. Tomorrow is not promised. And so Paul says we should live in this way to live above reproach. And not just, you know, to live above reproach, meaning so that way a non-believing world can point out to us and say, uh, what? You guys are treating yourselves like that? And I'm like, kind of God is the bro. I don't want any part of that God. Number one. But it also allows us to live just without guilt, to know that, you know what, I, I did my part. You know, I could, could, I have, could I have done it all differently if we could do it all over again? Yes, of course, I, I would do it differently too. But even then, if I could do everything all over again, I would still make mistakes. Because that's part of, you know, not just that, that sin nature and just the fact that just who we are. That even if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't do it right. But that's how amazing, again, just back to 1 John 3, 1, which is the verse that I ended with. It just makes that verse how much more amazing. That reality, that the great love that our God has lavished on us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we are made children of God, and that is what we are. Exclamation point. That's what we are. Us. He did that for us. How? Again, it just shows that great love of God. And so, guys, I want to challenge you as this, uh, this podcast is coming out post-Valentine's. I want to challenge you, hey, let's keep loving. Let's keep, keep loving in this way. Extend the love of God towards your family, towards your immediate family, all right, your extended family. How can we continue to care for one another? How can we care for one another knowing that this pleases God, practicing godliness in this way, in the way we speak to each other, love one another, encourage one another, serve one another. This is important because when we can get it right, I said this at the beginning of the message and I want to end with this. Okay. If we can get it right in the church house, we'll get it right inside our house. And when we're training and practicing godliness in the church house and in our house, all right, there is no limit to what God can do out in the world. All right. And it starts at home. It starts in the church of starts in God's home, starts in the church of God and then in our house. OK. And if we do those things, we do those things. OK. I'm telling you, your life's going to be impacted. You're going to influence those inside 
and others will witness a mighty God among you. So just guys lean into the love of God because it's his love that's going to fill in all that gaps. It's the, his, that lavish love that first John three, one talks about. That's going to be the love that when wives, when you respect your husband and they're disrespecting you and they're not serving, they're disrespecting you by their lack of service. Okay. You respect them by serving them. Okay. You respect them and you're serving them and they're not, you know, it's not coming back this way. Understand you are pleasing your heavenly father and it does, it does. And it can make a difference. All right. And the husband's the same way. You got, you got a wife that you are submitting to and you're loving her and you're serving her. Yet she still disrespects you the way she talks about you towards other people, towards her girls. Right. And she just constantly, you know, demeans you by talking down to you like if you're dumb or whatever and you're still laying down your life that pleases God all right it's in through kindness and through repentance through through kindnesses that can lead us lead that individual through repentance and again you can't control the other person all you can control is you same thing parents with your kids they keep loving them and pray that the Spirit will reveal to them their true faith and that God, He will lead them into true, lasting, saving faith. And kids, some of you, God can use you to save some of your parents by honoring them and serving them, praying for them. Okay, God can use you to lead. God can use you to lead your parents to Christ. So let's just do that, guys. Listen, practice. You ain't going to get it right all the time. You ain't, ain't going to be perfect. All right? It's not going to be perfect. But keep practicing. And let's see God do amazing, amazing works in our lives and through our lives.